Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey everyone, I am Kevin Cruz and welcome back to another episode of the LeadX Leadership Show where we are helping you to become the boss everyone wants to work for and today we're doing something a little different. In fact, you know how I like to mix it up and experiment? Well, I'm going to be doing a series of interviews with people who are scaling leadership in their companies, meaning the folks who are driving the leadership development programs. How do we teach managers? How do we teach leaders to be great leaders who drive employee engagement? Now, if you're involved in leadership development yourself, this will be right up your alley. You'll hopefully get some new ideas, some new insights from others, or at least just get validation that you're doing everything that everyone else is also doing. You're doing things right. But even if you're an individual or a manager who doesn't have to train other managers, I think you're going to find it interesting to hear about the different ways other organizations are grooming their leaders. And you're going to hear me give my views on different personality assessments, the core competencies to be a great leader, and how we can measure leadership effectiveness. But before I introduce our guest, remember to check out the LeadX platform with Coach Amanda. We're doing about 40 demos a week, and the most common reaction we get is very cool, intriguing, and this is clearly the future. The LeadX app runs on your iPhone or Android, gives you access to thousands of leadership resources in the form of webinars, micro-learning videos, podcasts, and soon even business book summaries. And Coach Amanda, which is of course powered by IBM Watson, Coach Amanda will diagnose your personality, give you personalized management training, and help you to set and accomplish a career goal. Visit leadx.org to sign up for a free trial. So today, you're going to hear my conversation with Allison Sakamandi, who is the Director of Leadership, Organizational Development and Engagement and Performance at Temple University Health System in my hometown of Philadelphia. I first met Allison when she presented at the LeadX Scaling Leadership Summit, and I loved how she showed ROI of her leadership training program. So she was kind enough to invite me into her office to get even more details about what she's doing. Enjoy the conversation. So, Allison, we're sitting in a conference room right now, Temple Health. In your own words, tell me about Temple Health and your role, and then we'll go from there. So, Temple Health is a academic medical center. It's located in an urban environment. We're in the great city of Philadelphia, <laughs> by the way. We are in the great city of Philadelphia. Oh, my gosh. We're an urban academic medical center in the city of Philadelphia. We have a number of facilities focused on community health behavioral health, and overall health care for both the local community as well as nationally recognized programs that people come here for, high-end sort of opportunities for health care. What's your role here? How long have you been here? So I've been here about four years. It's my anniversary month. Right. Uh, Congratulations. I know. It's flown by. I should have brought you a present. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> I've been here about four years, and my uh, title is Director of Leadership and Organizational Development. So I have responsibility for training and development across the entire health system, and I also have responsibility for performance management or performance management process, as well as leading the engagement process as well. 
So, for people who aren't familiar with Temple Health, I mean, just ballpark, like, mm-hmm. how many employees are we talking about? Roughly how many people managers? We have about 10,000 employees, a little less than that, maybe 9,300 across all of the different entities. And we have probably 800 managers from the top level down to the frontline supervisor. And when you started, were you in a leadership development role? Or did mm-hmm. the, okay. And what was it like when you got here? So I have a strong background in human resources, mostly in a generalist type position, mm-hmm. but training and development is something that has always been part of my career in some way. But for the last eight years, I've been really focused on leader development. And so I came here as the director of leadership and organizational development. And what really was interesting about this opportunity is that There was nothing here as far as a structured training plan, training program, or training strategy. Mm. So it was really a build when I walked Mm. in the door. That didn't scare you away? Uh, It's a lot of work. (laughs) And sometimes when we look back over four years, we are amazed at what we've really been able to accomplish. But more than that, what the organization, both the person I report to, John Lasky, who's our CHRO, but also the organization has just been really supportive of what we're trying to accomplish here. And I can't say enough about that because you need everyone on a team to be successful. And so the whole organization has supported this team. And Allison, I probably will mention this in in the intro of the podcast, but just so everybody knows, we met late last year and you were part of that scaling leadership summit we put together in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. to bring together, you know, peers to talk about things. And, you know, I was sort of blown away by both all that you had accomplished in the four years and that you feel like you saw some actual measurable results, like business results. Sometimes people can't necessarily say that. And, And so we'll get to the results, but sort of walk us through what are some of the things you're doing, let's say, for new managers, first time managers? What kind of things do you do to support more senior executives, senior leaders? Sure. So when we got here, we had a really a two-pronged strategy. The first prong was really to put an engagement process in place, and that included a regular process to survey our employees across the system in order to gain feedback on things that we were both doing well and places that we needed to work. And one of the things that we've done differently here that I hadn't seen before until I got here was that we were able to drive those results all the way down to the frontline supervisor and then make the supervisor accountable for those results. And what I mean is we'd survey the employees, we'd get the results back, and they're able to go in and look at their data. So it was confidential. So for smaller teams, obviously, you'd have to combine. But for teams that were larger, they were able to see the data that the employees had on their team. And then they were responsible for coming up with their own action plan. But as part of that process, they were also responsible for having this conversation with their employees about what was working and what wasn't. And I think opening up that line of communication, that conversation, has really impacted our culture in such a way that people have really come together as teams. And then ultimately we saw that in our results. So we continue that process on a regular basis of having a survey, getting the results back, having these conversations, putting in action plans, and it's been successful for us. And I'm going to interrupt also for a second because you're hitting on some things I really want to make sure the listeners understand. So I think it's great that I asked you about training tactics, training programs, and you answered and said, well, we actually started with 
measuring the begin with the end right, in mind. Right. And I often say when people complain, oh, trainers don't have a seat at the table, etc. I say it's because you don't have a number. You know, sales has a seat at the table because they have a number they can right, say. Right, right, right. You know? And so I also think in many organizations, like engagement is run by a team way over here and management development's way over here. And it's like, no, 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 no. 70% of engagement is tied to the manager. Right. So that management development, leadership development should own engagement. So the fact that you started with engagement, started with that measure is, is awesome. And then when people are always asking, well, why are so many people disengaged and, and how come we can't move that needle? I think a lot of companies, they do those surveys and they hold the numbers at the top and it becomes like a VP of HR action plan of, oh, we need to do more communications, we need more benefits. The secret, which you're doing, it's actually grassroots if you wanna move engagement. Right, right, right. You have to give the managers their results and have them talk about it and action plan at that team level. So I just wanna make sure the listeners are really understanding, like these are some some key points. And I think it's a heavy lift to say that you wanna do that, that you wanna go all the way down to that frontline supervisor. And initially it was, mm-hmm. uh, but the work was worth it mm-hmm. because the results in the end have really been positive for us. And I think that there's a lot of value in looking at the top line across an organization and picking an organizational goal. Mm-hmm. But there's also tremendous value in knowing exactly what your employees are saying at the team level right. and then working with them. Like that's the key. What's our action plan that we're creating together so that we can move it forward? So you've seen engagement results increase over the four years? Absolutely. Ballpark by how much? It's increased about 14%. Wow. So in the last survey, we're gearing up for another survey. But we have increased from, I think, the 44th percentile when you compare us against all academic medical centers to the 58th percentile in our last survey. We're looking to increase from there this next survey you know, round. And then when you look at our Northeast Urban Benchmark, because we want to measure ourselves against people who are like us, we've gone from the 64th percentile to 73rd percentile. So these are really hard number results comparing us against people who are like us. Yeah, yeah. And so we're really excited about them because it demonstrates, you know, the hard work that our employees put in. Great. So four years ago, you start with let's measure engagement, let's make sure people are getting their scores, their action planning. What else are you doing to support leaders here? So the second part of the strategy was to really build employee development strategy. And so the first thing we did was put in three different tiers of development opportunities. The first one was obviously for our emerging leaders. So for those people identified who had leadership skills, maybe not even looking to be a supervisor, but we put in a program in order to build those types of skills for people to be able to move ahead. The second level, obviously, was like a management foundations course. And the reason we focused on that was just the amount of activity that we saw inside of our employee relations function. We wanted to make sure that managers had the skills to handle problems on their own before rising to the level of a human resources contact. And so we put in a management foundations program. We really proliferated that across the system. We held it at all locations and really gave our leaders the foundational skills that they needed. The interesting thing about that was it's not all new managers that went into it. We had a lot of senior managers, not senior in 
level, right. but tenured yes. leaders who said, hey, let me go back here and let me see what I'm not doing. What can I be refreshed on? And so that combination of experience and new leader coming together was really successful for us. So tell me more about that management foundations. Mm-hmm. I mean, was that like a one hour lunch and learn? Was that a, right. a one day course? What did it look like? It's several half days over a period of a month or so or a month and a half. We kick it off with a webinar and then they come back for three or four weeks at a half day session, three or four hours, and they're really working on actionable items. So one of the things here, because our budgets are limited, we wanna make sure that anything that we present to our staff or our leaders, they can take it and do something with it the very next day. So that's the type of opportunity it presented uh, to us so that they could go out and just really implement these skills. And then to follow up, what we do is we send a coaching kit out to the managers afterwards. So whoever attends the class, their manager gets a coaching kit and they go back out and they're able to have a conversation with their manager on the types of things that they would be implementing, whether it's performance, whether it's goal setting, whether it's having a conversation with their employees, whatever that actionable item is, the manager knows what the content is and they can coach their employee to continue the learning on the job. And again, I'm just going (laughs) to underscore that for the listeners that too often training is viewed as like a one and done. You know, you kind of do it to somebody and now they're, now they're done. And of course the horrible truth is there's that knowing doing gap just because someone's been trained doesn't mean they actually then do it or apply the new skill back on the job they either forget we get busy whatever so you've gone that extra step thought through with that coaching kit to say all right how are we going to help them to apply the new skills back on the job how are we going to reinforce it beyond just that training uh, half day session so so that's great and then the third level of that was to put in a program for our mid to upper level leaders, directors and above, I would say. And it is around really those upper level skills that they need. So who am I? What's my thinking style? How does that impact my team and the team around me? How do I build a team? How do I have great conversations? And how do I communicate in an appropriate manner? And then how do I optimize my decision making? So those four components come together in a four week program that we run every spring. And we bring 35 to 50 managers, leaders, director level and above together to go through that higher level program, which includes sort of a social learning component where we bring the participants together in a social learning platform Mm -hmm. and have them do follow-up learning after each session, have them interact with each other and have conversations with each other. And then that continues after they you know, leave the program, they have that connection through this social media platform. And are you finding that they are using that platform? They're not finding that, oh, I'm too busy to log in and, and I do think that, stuff. that, you know, some people have energy for it right. and other people find themselves too busy. One thing that people ask us all the time from that program is because such a bond forms during those four yeah. weeks, how can we come back together? Mm-hmm. And so we're really looking at creating this year what we're calling a network resource group, where any graduates of that program can come together for some other type of learning activity. It could be a speaker, it could be a one-hour session, it could be maybe a half-day workshop, and it'll be strictly voluntary. But for those people that really want to build that network, Mm -hmm. we feel strongly that if you build a network and learn together as people move up in an organization, the critical 
relationships that you have to have will already be there. So it should make your transition smoother. Right. So this network resource group is something we're looking to launch this year. I think that's a unique benefit that a lot of learning and development teams can provide is is creating those social bonds, breaking Mm -hmm. down the walls by building relationships. And I remembered years ago when there was debate about whether e-learning was as good as classroom or something, and someone split some new hires. So it was orientation, and some was the the classroom-based, and others was all remote. These were work-from-home folks. What they found was that the knowledge transfer, the satisfaction was the same. It was equivalent. But a year later, a lot more people in the e-learning group had left the company. And the thinking is like they didn't have the social bonds that formed, you know, for those tough times or stressful times or what other opportunities are out there in this organization times. But the people who were in the classroom for a week, uh, you know, the first week when they're all on board, they had that and kind of stuck together. So I think it's great you're thinking about that network uh, resource group. So, I mean, you've put a lot of programs into place, again, thinking about your different levels from your high potentials, your hypos, your new managers, all the way up to the mid and upper level. Anything else you want to share about the development and support program that you've got in place now? So I think the other thing that we're really focusing on right now is uh, looking at a robust talent review and succession planning platform. And the result of that is the data will really demonstrate to us what we need to do at the executive level or to develop future executives for our organization. And having implemented succession planning in a variety of organizations, the hardest part is the development And so we're really focused on that in the new year as well. Who are identified successors? What do they really need to prepare for that next executive level role? And then trying to really understand what that process will look like and how we can bring those groups together as well. So future executives in this organization, bringing them together at some type of learning opportunity, Mm -hmm. but also having something very specific for what they need to get to where they need to go. Good, good. So let me take you back then to more about the results. You Mm -hmm. shared some of the engagement results. And I think at our scaling leadership meeting, I think you were on the ROI panel. Was that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So I remembered being impressed because even beyond engagement, you saw how this, it's really a culture change. You know, it's programs. We've really changed a lot of the the culture and behaviors. What other positive outcomes do you think you can uh, point to? It's really interesting because a lot of people will say when you're in training and development, it's hard to figure out what your return on investment is. And so a lot of people track things like how many classes did I run? How many people did I touch? And those numbers are important. I'm not saying they aren't. We we track those as well. But results are what matters. And interestingly, we track all types of data here and we saw a lot of positive changes in some of the typical things that HR in general tracks, but we think some of the programs that we put into place have had an impact on that. So some of the things that we saw our turnover is now under 10%. So we're at 7.8% over the last four years. You know, we improved over 20% from where it was in the past. Nationally, when you look at organizations like ours, that turnover could be upwards of 17 or 18%. So for us, that's a real number that we can hang our hat on. That's a big difference a and a huge, huge savings financially. It yeah. is. First year turnover is around 8% as well. And nationally, that number in organizations like ours could be upwards of 
And our vacancy rate, when you look overall at how many open positions we are in the last several years, has gone from 9% to 2%. Wow. So why is that interesting? Well, a couple things when you think about healthcare. When a job is open in healthcare, you generally have to fill that job with maybe a temporary worker or a pool worker because you need to have the right level of care. Mm-hmm. And so that vacancy rate is real dollars for us. You can really calculate real dollars that are spent when we don't have our staffing under control. The other thing I think that's interesting about that is that here in Philadelphia, you know, the unemployment rate is really manageable. Our economy is doing great. And usually, from a human resource perspective, when you see that, people begin to move around because they're comfortable. Yet we're not seeing that. We're seeing a real stickiness with our workforce, and we feel like our workforce is engaged and happy here. So those are a couple of measures just on, you know, the turnover side. That's great. Now, you had mentioned also something about <laughs> about grievances. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say it. <laughs> yeah, just say the word. So, you know, one of the goals we had, and I think I mentioned it earlier in our conversation, is just how busy our employee relations and labor relations team had been when I first joined the organization. And looking at the types of problems they were trying to solve and help, frankly, that they were trying to give both our employees and our leaders it occurred to me that our leaders just needed to have a broader set of tools mm-hmm. to use before they you know, came into the human resource office because a lot of the things I felt could be handled you know, on their own within their team. And so what we've seen over the last four years is really a 50% reduction in the amount of disciplines that are handed out across our organization. And real numbers, I mean, it's in the hundreds that we've been able to reduce that by. And if you're a person in an HR organization that has to deal with disciplines or employee relations, you know that that is a timely activity. And so we've really been able to reduce the number of disciplines that have been recorded in our organization. And then on the opposite side of that, the number of complaints that people have about our managers, that's been reduced by 20% as well. And so we feel like these are really awesome results that 20% over the four years. Over the four yeah, years. Yeah. But it demonstrates that if you give the skills to the people who are at the front line, you can see the measured results in some of these areas. I think it's interesting because when we came, we sort of had a blank slate and we implemented a lot of different things. But it showed us that we can draw a straight line to mm-hmm. some of those metrics that maybe in other organizations you wouldn't see because maybe there's programs already in place or right. whatever. So we're really excited about those types of numbers that we have. So let let me ask about this. When you talk about, let's say, the reduction in discipline. So as part of the management training program that you have, do you literally talk about, hey, here's a progressive discipline program you guys ought to try? Or is it just that it's the general training around feedback and conversations, et cetera, that you Mm -hmm. think is having? I think it's both of those. So. I think that you have to make sure your employees understand what the appropriate way is to follow a disciplinary process, but I also think that you need to teach them how to coach and how to redirect and how to have performance conversations so that they don't ultimately get to that progressive discipline process. Yeah. So I think that it's both of those things. And let me, uh, this will be really just sort of fundamental and background, I think for a lot of our listeners who've never worked in the healthcare industry, they think about a health system, a hospital, and they're thinking doctors and nurses. So 
What type of positions are you talking about when it comes to uh, oh, labor, to yeah. un- unions? This so- is a really or- interesting organization. It's 24 hours, right? It's open mm-hmm. seven days a week. We have all different types of employees that work here. We have employees who are responsible for all of our supplies, people who work on our loading dock, people who have to take care of all the food service for both the employees and also our patients and the other population that comes in and out of our buildings. So we have security guards, we have maintenance, we have administration, we have office workers, we have HR, payroll. So you have all the typical, you know, people that would work in an organization. And then you also have our clinicians and that runs the gamut as well. So what percent roughly of the uh, employees are unionized? What's your mix? I think probably I would say around 30% of our employees are unionized. It may be a little higher than that, mm-hmm. but we've been union for a really long time. And so, you know, that's just the nature of sure. our business and it's just everyday thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, in the organizations that I've seen that have union employees, I almost always see a little bit of a difference in engagement mm-hmm. scores between union and non-union. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not always a lot, uh, right. but, but, but I do see a difference. And I often theorize that I think with uh, sort of the way like Gallup says, 70% of engagement is sort of who your boss is. And then it's like, are you emotionally connected to your organization? And I think many union workers are more likely to feel emotionally connected to their union Mm -hmm. rather than the organization they happen to be working for, you know, at that time. It's just my guess as to why some of that engagement would be lower than others. I don't think it's like role specific or anything. Do you see a little bit of a difference in the two groups? You know, we really don't. And it's interesting because I think that our organization has a unique mission. It was founded on this mission to serve the poor, to provide health care to those who weren't able to get it otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's founded on this mission of diversity and inclusion. And when you're here, you really feel that people are connected to this organization in ways that I haven't seen people connected in other organizations. And so I think a lot of people work here because of that mission. There's that mission-driven focus. So I think that's Which is some above of whether you're union, whether you're not. It doesn't matter. Everybody's on the same Right, right, great. right. And the other thing that I think is interesting here from a performance management standpoint uh, is, and that's really our third prong that we're just mm. rolling out and changing, But we've been doing performance management for a long time. And if you're non-union, your increase is based upon your performance management score. But if you're unionized, your increase is based upon whatever your union contract says. But here, you know, we still place a high value on completing a performance evaluation every year on every single employee or 99% every year. Right. So... Really making that connection, giving people feedback and telling mm-hmm. them how they're doing. I can tell you whether you get a raise or not, <laughs> you want your performance score to be the right score, right? If people don't get the right score, whether it's, there's an increase attached or not, they're coming to see you and they want to know why. So I think that's interesting from that standpoint because there is a school of thought that says you should disconnect the performance review from the increase right. so that you can have valuable feedback. And so we have both models here. And I really do see that people believe in the value of the feedback, whether it has to do with their increase or not. Right. Are you seeing differences in engagement scores by any other population group? Some people will assert that the, you know, millennials Mm -hmm. are harder to engage. I haven't seen that myself yet. Um, Others will say 
physicians are harder to engage. <laughs> Others will say roles. Like, are you seeing, or, or you know, men, women, mm-hmm. any demographic? I don't think any change. of those, de- any certain demographic stands out for me other than sort of an environmental issue. And that is for teams that are undergoing a lot of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can mean a variety of things. It could be automation or efficiency or change in leadership. And those mm-hmm. teams that go through change that's where the engagement scores can dip. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have to really focus to make sure that you're bringing those engagement scores up. So mm-hmm. I see more environmental than I do some of the demographics that you mentioned. Now, when it comes, that makes sense to me. And when it comes to change, I would think, I know one of the big drivers of engagement, different groups will call it different things, but it's that trust in the future, that future vision. And it's hard to feel engaged if I'm anxious about Am I even going to have a job? Am I, or what, is my role going to change? Or I was told I'd be doing these career steps. I don't know if I'm going to do them anymore. So uncertainty about that future or not being able to trust the future, I think, kind of dials down engagement. Would you suggest that's what's going on in these groups with change? Or do you think um, it's something else? I think it's just that, you know, sometimes when you're going through a lot of change and, um, You know, whatever that change is, it impacts you every single day. And so I think it's more of a motivation factor Mm -hmm. than a future driven factor. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, do I see myself here, you know, five years from now? That's a major factor for employee engagement drives the overall, you know, engagement index. But to me, I see it as more as an environmental factor. Mm -hmm. Do I feel valued on a day to day basis? Are people recognizing me on a day to day basis? And the other thing in changes What's the communication like? I see. So if I, you're not communicating to me and I'm sort of becoming unsure, right. maybe about more of my short-term environment right. versus you know, long-term, I think that's what's having the impact. That makes sense. That makes sense. Anything else you'd like to share about the, the good work you guys are doing here? So we're just really excited. We've seen the other thing I would just shout out to a couple of my colleagues Cassandra Cuesta, she works on our patient experience team and some of our nursing leadership, Chandra and Carter and Liz Menchner, they, all of us, the four of us have been working on really pulling together professional skill series for all of our employees here at Temple Health. And it involves understanding how to deliver great service. It includes understanding how to build a civil workplace and what that looks like and how to have great conversations and how to have, we're using a product called Fierce Conversations, Mm, which is really solid content for our organization. So we have all seen, so I have some great numbers. They have great numbers too in some of the metrics that they manage from a quality and a patient satisfaction standpoint. You um, had had shared something just before we went on the air about magnet achievement. Yeah, really exciting. So tell, tell me about that. So, you know, we've been on the magnet journey for a while. Our uh, Fox Chase group has been Magnet. They've been renewed over five times. So tell times. our listeners, like, yeah. what is the Magnet program? Magnet's really the highest designation for patient care and nursing care. It's a designation. It's the highest designation you can get. It's a huge amount of work. Mm-hmm. It's a huge amount of effort, and it's something to be really proud of. Fox Chase has been part of our health system for a while. They've had that for some time. And now for our main hospital, Temple University Hospital, to get that. We're really proud of that. But that, again, is another factor in, I think, engagement. And the types of things that you are asked to do to become magnet, I think, supports the overall mission that we have in LNOD as well. So, 
you know, we can't be more excited or more proud of our nursing team for achieving that. It's been a long journey. About how long ago was it that you guys decided to kind of go for it and start that process? You know, I came here four years ago, and yeah. I think it was around that time that the Magnet Journey started for Temple yeah. University Hospital. So it's been a huge effort and a lot of work. It's a great program, and it's like any of those kind of independent third-party organizations that a company would apply for, whether it's on a local, you know, best place to work type thing or a Baldridge Prize or something. Right, right. I mean, it's very hard, and it takes a big commitment of time and money, and it has to be supported from the top. And uh, so just congratulations on that. Yeah, like, we're excited. Really we're excited. I think it just furthers our journey in creating this culture of accountability and a culture driven by goals and objectives and you know, solid leadership and having everyone on your team and creating that open, you know, communication path back and forth. So my final question is, tell me about you as a learner. You obviously have a huge growth <laughs> mindset. Uh, we all, you know, are, are working in industries and right, training right, itself right. changes. Like, how do you keep up? How do you like to learn? What do you do? It's been an interesting journey for me as well over the last eight years. And I really... Someone I worked with before I came here in the four years before I came to Temple really motivated me to look at the world differently when it came to learning. And that person energized me to really look at how we might implement something different when it comes to learning and development than the standard class thing. We talked a lot yeah. about having programs and classes. But one of the other things that we've done is we've implemented a model where we have internal consultants that work with teams. So we bring the learning to where the team is. And so that is a tough model to implement. Yeah. And as a team, we have to be very nimble. And so we are always out there trying to figure out what's the next new thing? Mm -hmm. What's something that's going to work for our culture and our industry? How can we better ourselves so we can better serve our client? Mm -hmm. So we try and take that same customer service mindset that we are trying to implement or have implemented for our patients, and we try and serve our internal clients the same way. But to do that, <laughs> you have to stay out front. Right. So we're always you know, doing some type of training over the last year and investing in ourselves in that way. Are you personally more of a, of a reader, a video? Do you like uh, conferences, <laughs> magazines? Like reading is less for me as I get older. I love to <laughs> read. But reading to learn doesn't hold my interest as much as, you know, maybe going to a workshop or a networking right. opportunity or, you know, listening. I do a lot of listening online to different things, podcasts and books. Yeah. Sometimes that's just better for me. Yeah. It's amazing uh, from when I have my author hat on, I look at the publishing data. There has been a huge move from printed books to audio books. Right, I mean, right, it's like right. exponential growth. And I think it's in this crazy, busy world we all work in now. And the fact that we can get, whether it's a podcast or a book, like in the palm of our hand, like so many of us are now flipping yeah. to that. And right. I'm, and you I'm can usually on to one anywhere. and a half speed, you know, right, it's like right. even get them to say it faster. Or something. Right, right. But I think that, you know, if you're driving or, you know, doing whatever you need to do uh, on the weekend, it's a lot easier to be listening to something than it is to be sitting down and sort of going through the books. I do love to have a book in my hand. It's yeah. a favorite thing for me. But I feel like, you know, the technology is really just really interesting to be able to download books and listen to books and listen to podcasts. I think, you know, learning is mobile now and we That's have to right. find ways to do that. Yeah. Well, music to my ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Alice, I just want to thank you. I mean, first for, for doing what you do, working in the healthcare industry, 
I think anyone working in healthcare are absolute heroes, you know, whether you're the, on the clinician side or the other side. It is a tough industry, it's vital, so thanks for that. And time's our most valuable asset, so not only are you doing great work, but you're taking time with me today and at the conference to help your peers out there in the world say, hey, here's some things that worked, here's some, some things that we're doing, and, and not everybody's willing to do right, that. Right. So thanks Thank for you. coming on the show and doing that too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Friends, if you like this episode of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, please take a minute, leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings are invaluable for attracting new listeners. And I like to convert those listeners into leaders because you know I'm on a mission to spark 100 million leaders in the next 10 years. And if you wanna become the boss everyone fights to work for and nobody wants to leave, check out the LeadX platform with Coach Amanda at leadx.org. And if you have 10 or more managers who could use some binge-worthy training, send me an email at info at leadx.org, L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G, and we'll talk about getting you set up with a totally free pilot for those managers. See if they like it. If they don't, that's fine. We go away, part as friends. But if they love it, you've just found yourself a new resource for them. Remember, leadership is influence. You're always leading. How are you going to lead today? <laughs>